This is Susanna Hills Podcast. We hope this message becomes a revelation in your heart and will encourage you to live a Christ-centered life. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Here's today's message. Good morning, everyone. So wonderful to be with you today. Uh, true story, my wife, uh, her family came to faith through this community. I got to meet her in Cape Town. Forever grateful to this church for raising up such wonderful people that are now my family. Uh, we have been very busy in Cape Town. We've had five children, and, um, and uh, now the oldest one is in high school, and he goes to school 35 minutes from our house. So both Julie and I work, which means we're driving all over the place, squeezing it into our already busy lives. Uh, what does make all this driving worthwhile is the lovely conversations we have with our kids. Uh, our youngest children are twins. That's how we got to the magic number of five. We didn't plan it. And I'm um, driving one of these grade two twins home, and he shares with me his aspirations for his life. He says, Dad, when I finish school one day, I, I want to go uh, to uni, uh, to uni, to uni. So it warms my heart as I complete the word. I know you want to go to university. That's great. No, I want to go to uni York. Oh, you mean, you mean New York? Well, I'm delighted by this answer too. The guy's got big plans for his life. I think to myself, so I say, and what do you want to do there? He says, Dad, I want to train pigeons to steal money from those rich people. <laughs> My purpose is Christ. My purpose is Christ. I get to speak on that today. Uh, Jesus says the words, uh, come follow me, come follow me. The first and most important answer to what our purpose is, is that he calls us to himself. Our purpose is that we draw closer and closer to him. And in the coming Sundays, we'll learn different things that he purposes us to do with our lives. But before he, he purposes us to uh, do something or to go somewhere, he calls us to someone himself. And we're going to uh, read through Philippians 3 and unpack it today, verses 3 to 10. Paul the Apostle writes the words, and it's a beautiful passage of Scripture that highlights that Jesus Christ is our purpose. In verse 7, Paul says, he speaks about the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. In verses 8 to 9, he says that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. In verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ. And then in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, he says, for me, to live is Christ. So our first purpose is Christ, knowing Christ, drawing closer to Christ. And what we're going to do is I'm going to unpack those verses and show us three ways to draw closer to Christ. Three ways to draw closer to Christ. And the first point is going to take longer than the rest, so don't worry if it goes on a long time. I'm going to keep my message 25 minutes. So firstly, realize Christ alone fulfills. Realize Christ alone fulfills. I'm quoting C.S. Lewis here. He says this, A car is made to run on petrol, and it would not run properly on anything else. Of course, Elon Musk hadn't been born at the time that he'd written this. Carries on, now God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn and the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about knowing him. God cannot give us a happiness and a peace apart from himself. 
because it's not there. <laughs> There's no such thing. What is the petrol we put in our tanks? The Apostle Paul gives us an answer as he reflects on his own journey in verses three to six. Speaking as a Christian, he says, for we who worship God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. And he looks back at his life before he came to Christ, and he's about to run through his credentials his trophies, the things that he prized, the things that he used to pour into his tank with abandon. He says this, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more, circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Moses, a Pharisee, as for zeal, I persecuted the church before I came to faith. As for righteousness, based on the law, I was faultless. So Paul's uh, petrol, his credentials, he runs through some of them. Of course, we don't really relate to a lot of them because we live in the 21st century. He's speaking about life as a first century Jewish man. And he was top of the class. He's running through. He firstly speaks about his remarkable upbringing. His parents got him circumcised on his eighth day of life on the planet. Nowadays, I do suppose some of us find our credentials in our pedigree, in our upbringing. Uh, you know, some of us just got a certain family name. We got sent to certain schools. What about the country he grew up in? Paul says, I grew up in Israel. And uh, still today, I suppose there are a hierarchy of countries. We tend to evaluate them by the GDP. I was reading a, a book the other day, uh, and in the 1950s, 5% uh, of people lived in America, and they had more wealth than the other 95% of people on the planet. It, it was a nation right at the top of the list. If you could be American. Oh, he speaks about the tribe he belonged to. He says, I was part of Benjamin's tribe. Still today, we value the tribe we're in, whether it's a sporting tribe, the rich tribe, the intellectual tribe, the arty tribe. We work hard to get into the tribe. We work hard to stay in the tribe. Paul also speaks about his language. He says he could speak Hebrew. I remember the world spoke Greek at that time, but he had learned Hebrew too. And he, was, he, he speaks about his education. He speaks about his ability to speak a certain language. And still today, some of us will value uh, certain languages above other languages. We might look down on other people. Or what about his denomination? He says, I was a Pharisee. And still today, I suppose within Christendom, there are many denominations, and some of us prize our denomination, whether it's uh, you know, Presbyterian, Methodist, Catholic, uh, Charismatic, and then of course an exciting movement of churches like City Hill. What about natural strengths and abilities? Paul speaks about his natural zeal. He just had that go-getter, um, unstoppable approach to life. Some of us today, still, we are naturally extroverted, naturally confident, naturally mentally sharp, able to take thoughts and put it into words with vo vocal power. And uh, Paul says, you know, when I look back at all of that in, in verse 7, he says, these were the gains that I had. 
So Paul in his society elevated these things. And Paul says, I was top of the class. I was first in class. These were my gains. They gave him a huge advantage in life. And it made him feel fantastic about his place on the planet. I wonder what Paul would have said if he had grown up in the 21st century, what his list of credentials might have sounded like. Let me, let me imagine. Maybe he would have made mention of romantic love. I found the love of a lifetime. Or he would have referred to money. By the age of 35, I sold my startup to Amazon for $5 billion. Or maybe security. Hey, I didn't live flush, but I had investments that sorted me out into older age. Or maybe he would have referred to success. I was first in class, first in the field, on the field, first in my career. Or maybe he would have referred to family. I was surrounded by parents and siblings and a spouse and children who loved me and I loved them. Or maybe he would have made reference to his looks. My body was ripped. Men wanted to be me. Women wanted to be with me. <laughs> or power. People respected and admired and obeyed me. I walked into the room, I carried that gravitas and I got VIP privileges wherever I went. Or maybe we referred to, to our comfort and luxury. My house and holidays were documented by top billing. I can only dream. The closest I ever got to being on top billing is I did a celebrity wedding and, uh, and uh, the film crew was behind me and the husband-to-be was standing in front of me and the wife was soon to walk down the aisle and the crew came up to me hold, you know, the ca holding the cameras and they say, can we ask you a question? I'm going, oh my gosh, I'm going to say something. It's going to be on TV. And they say, uh, could you please move out the way? None of these things that I'm running through are bad in themselves. We grow up in a society that teaches us that these things are life at the best. These are gains. But something happened to Paul that changed his view about the value of these things. He says in verse 7, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. So much of what society values and what he wants values, Paul discovers really doesn't matter. They were not actually gains at all. He discovers, as so many of us do, that these things don't fulfill you. They don't have the ability to satisfy you. They overpromise, underdeliver. Take fame. The average teenager and a 20-something, uh, you know, would like to be famous. Anthony Hopkins, uh, probably as famous as it gets in the world of movie making, he says, I meet young people all the time and they want to act and they want to be famous. And I tell them that when you get to the top of the tree, there's nothing up here. Most of this is nonsense. Most of this is a lie. Well, what about romantic love? There's a book called Fill These Hearts by Christopher West. And he tells a story of one night taking his wife out on a date and she gets the conversation going and she says, why is it that our marriage is in such a good place? And of course, he knows where she's going. He says, I think I know what it is. I think I've been realizing deep in my heart that you can't satisfy me. And she says, that's it. I've realized the same thing and you can't satisfy me either. Either, sorry. And then, uh, then he explains, he says, you know, anyone overhearing this conversation would have thought we were going to get divorced. But to us, this was a cause for joy and celebration. We'd never felt closer and freer in our love. See, only to the degree that we stop expecting others to be God for us, we are free to love others as they really are, warts and all, without demanding perfection of them, whether it's a spouse, 
friend, a son or daughter, or any other relationship. And, and, and even the things that do satisfy us, they don't satisfy us forever, because they don't last forever. I mean, you, you work hard to attain these things. Sometimes you never get to them and you're driven mad by your lack of ability to attain them. Or just as bad, you get them. And then you spend the rest of your life trying to hold on to them. Think about money. I still remember the day uh, a few years back where in just two hours, $200 billion was wiped off the JS, JSE. Some of the people in this room woke up that morning feeling their money was safe, but by the time you went to bed, it had vanished into thin air. What about approval? Approval. There's this group of people we look up to, and we, ask, we say, if I could just get into that group, some of us never get in. <laughs> it breaks us every day. But, but sometimes we do get in. And the group accepts us, approves of us. But now starts the hard yards of maintaining, of staying in that group. And we all know from experience what eventually happens. Your ratings go down. Someone faster, younger, smarter is in line to take your place. See, Paul realizes that the world and society had been duped. These things, good as they are, can never be ultimate. They're good things, but they can't be God to us. They're not forever. They can't satisfy the deepest part of your heart. So I want to suggest a Sunday afternoon reflection exercise today. Perhaps you'll be able to do it on your um, devotional if you can find the place. Write a list of all the things, the earthly things, the people, the activities, and the goals that you live for. Write them down. And then look at them each, one in the eye, and say these words, you're not forever. You can't fulfill me. You're good, but you're not ultimate. You can't be my God. I propose it might be the most liberating thing you do. What does fill us then? What does fill us then? Well, Paul says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ. See, Paul broke off his heart's fixation with each of these things. He let go of his grip of these things so that he could take hold of Christ. There's a fullness found in Jesus alone. King David in Psalm 16 pray, prays, he says, my heart is glad because you will not abandon me. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Until you find Jesus, you will never find what it is you're looking for. Jesus alone can satisfy the deepest desires of your heart, and not just for a day or even a year, but for 10 billion years, times 10 billion years. Second thing we learn about drawing closer to Jesus is this, cast your deadly doing down. Cast your deadly doing down. There's an ancient hymn written hundreds of years ago that says this, cast your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet, stand in him, in him alone, gloriously complete. Cast your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet, stand in him, in him alone, alone, gloriously complete. 
whatever is this deadly doing about? Well, it's doing something because you think it gives you a right standing with God. See, Paul tried to achieve a righteousness with God. He said he took the law of Moses, he took all of the moral laws, and he says he got 10 out of 10. And he thought that this somehow earned him something with God. But listen to this verse 9. That I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. See, there's a righteousness that's my righteousness that I achieve, says Paul. And he says, but the gospel brought me God's righteousness that I receive. The first one you earn, you work so hard for. The next comes to you. You know what the difference is between religion and the gospel? Religion says, obey, 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 and then God will accept you. The gospel says, trust in God's acceptance, and then once you're accepted, and you're sure you're accepted, obey. See, when you become a Christian, sure, there might be some things you're turning away from, some sins, but you also need to turn away from your righteousness, your belief that somehow your good deeds put God in your debt. We're accepted by God on the basis of what Jesus has done, not what we have done. Last night, Julie and I were having dinner at our little um, Airbnb, and uh, uh, not Airbnb, uh, Village Lodge, sorry, not Airbnb. What are those things called that are not Airbnb? Whatever. <laughs> and we were talking about this point, cast your deadly doing down. And, uh, she, and she spoke about how Mary and Martha, the story in Luke chapter 10, had so impacted and shaped her life. You see, there's a story in Luke 10 where Jesus is teaching and there is a woman sitting at his feet, which is unheard of in those days. Women were not to, to be in the room with men being taught. And her sister Martha is in the kitchen and she's slamming those pots because she's irritated that her sister's sitting there. While she's doing all the work, eventually she busts into the lounge and says, Jesus, what on earth is going on? I'm working hard here. She's sitting there doing nothing. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're so preoccupied and distracted by many things. Mary has chosen what is better and what she has will not be taken from her. And, uh, and Julie was saying that Martha is working towards her completion, whereas Mary is learning how to work from her completion. Martha wakes up in the morning, and she's, she's incomplete, and she hopes by the time she goes to bed, she has so got everything done, lived the Insta life, you know, ran off all the things that are her duty and her role, and she can go, ah. And then tomorrow morning, you're back on the treadmill, Whereas Mary is discovering something new. And Julie said to me, no, Martha is pursuing a life that works where you're where you, 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 you trying to get everything right, get everything done. Martha's comparing herself. She's critical of others and she's miserable. And uh, when you live for a life that works, you can just take off getting it all right. You so often are comparing you're so often critical of others. You're so often miserable. Now, I'm not saying don't try to organize your life because we know how crazy a disorganized life can be. But what if we learn something from Mary where you start your day receiving your completion in Christ? And from that place of completion, doing the thing Jesus tells you to do. I don't know if you know, after this, 
And Mary is the one who, when Jesus comes to the house again, breaks the alabaster jar of expensive perfume on Jesus' feet. Jesus is so moved because he says, she has anointed me for my burial. Somehow she had got quiet. She got still and she discerned in Jesus' words that he's about to get crucified for the sins of the world. And she does this one thing. And that's the danger. We're so busy the whole time. We are so busy running errands that we miss out on hearing the thing we're meant to do. What difference it would make if we learned to start every day celebrating how the gospel of Jesus Christ gets us to stand glorious and complete. We anchor ourselves in that. Our whole lives will be different. Oz Guinness in his book, The Call, there's a lot of quotes by Oz Guinness in the, in the Purpose Devotional. He says this, the main competitor of devotion to Jesus is service for Jesus. We are to be satisfied in God before we do something for him. Do we put our emphasis on service, on usefulness, on being productive and working for God at the expense of our relationship with Jesus? Do we strive to prove our own significance, to make a difference in the world, to carve our names in marble on the monuments of time? But we are not primarily called to do something or go somewhere. We are called to someone. And as we prize him, the things we're meant to do come clear. And we live a life that doesn't just work, it glows. So realize Christ alone fulfills. Cast your deadly doing down. And the third way to get closer to Jesus, it's so simple, but it needs to be said, decide to get closer to Jesus. Decide to get closer to Jesus. Years ago, I heard a one-liner that was so hauntingly simple, but it really has got a way of confronting us. The line was this, you will never be closer to Jesus than you want to be. I mean, you might not be as close to Jesus as you'd like to be, but it's unlikely you're gonna be closer to Jesus than you want to be. And Paul seems to say something similar. One way to grow closer to Jesus is to be very clear that this is what you want to do with your life. Paul says this in verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Paul wants nothing more than to keep in daily contact with Jesus, to walk as closely to him that he, as he can, to experience the Holy Spirit's resurrection power, and when going through hard times, to experience Jesus' comfortingness. closeness. Paul even says uh, in verse 9 that he wanted to be found in him. Huh? What's that about? Well, it seems to mean that, that if someone comes looking for Paul, other people can go, oh, oh, he's with Jesus. You want to grow closer to Jesus this year? Then determine that you will do what it takes to get closer to Jesus this year. If you've been following Jesus many years, you could probably, you know, list a, a, a couple of daily habits that you could build into your life and your weekly habits that are going to set you in that direction. Top of my mind, I'll, I'll, I'll tell them, what they are. I mean, just prioritize, prioritizing weekly gatherings with others to worship him, sit under his word. I'm speaking to the choir today. Here you are. You remember Sunday is not day seven in the week, it's day one. You're determining to start your week in the presence of God. Start your week in, with the people of God. Start your week sitting under the word of God. You can sing songs to God. Yeah? You can sing songs throughout the week. You could pray throughout the day. You could set aside times to pray. 
You could re read and reflect on some scripture every day. The current uh, devotional study is a good place to start. But the hope is after 36 days of doing it, when the book ends, you'll want to keep that habit going. You can find other people who want to follow Jesus. You could spur each other on in a life group or friendship groups, challenging each other, encouraging each other, holding each other accountable. Or you could grab moments of silence and solitude in the day or in the week and shut out the distractions. You could daily ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit. And let's not forget the power of hardships to draw us closer to Jesus. We keep on living our lives and when a hardship comes, we always just see it as an obstacle and a, a horrible thing that's happened to us. But Paul discovered that, that hardships are an amazing opportunity to draw closer to Jesus. I really hope that none of us suffer as much as Paul. But I think if you live enough years, you realize hardships and suffering and pain, it, it tends to come our way what to do when it comes. Let it drive you closer to Jesus. I love the story of um, Corrie ten Boom, famous female evangelist of the 1950s, 1960s, 1970s. She's a Dutch woman. She grows up in a wonderful Christian family where everybody loves God, loves each other, loves the word, all wonderful. And then, of course, the Nazi invasion and the Jewish people starting to get dragged to concentration camps, and her family decides to, to hide Jewish people. Somebody snitches, and uh, they all get land up in, in jail, and Corrie ten Boom and her sister land up in one of the worst concentration camps, and, uh, and it's rat infested, and it's utterly terrible, but they find the joy of God there, and they turn their cell into a church, discipling the other women. And uh, her sister gets sicker and sicker and eventually dies. If only she could have held on, because just a few days later, uh, there's this wonderful release from prison. It's a miracle the way she experiences it. She's been stripped of everything. And uh, God so powerfully works in her in the suffering to bring her closer to him that he then sends her out as an evangelist. And, she, and one of the things she keeps on teaching people wherever she goes is she says these words, You'll never know that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. You'll never know Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. And uh, the more years that I follow Jesus, the more precious that line comes to me. Because there are times in life when things are stripped from us and we experience loss whether the loss of reputation or the loss of relationships or the loss of money saved or the loss of dreams, the loss of plans, the loss of loved ones. And when we, these things are stripped from us, it feels like we are dying. And in a sense, some part of us is dying, never to come back again possibly. But in that experience of being stripped, Corrie ten Boom and the Apostle Paul discovered that, that there is an amazing opportunity to just rediscover the gain we have in Christ. The more we lose in this world, the, the, the more rich our appreciation and experience of Jesus becomes, whom we will never lose. If you seek him, you will find him, says the scriptures. Make a decision to seek him. And just in case that sounds like an impossibly hard job, the Christian life is not an impossible hunt for an elusive God. We seek a God 
who wants to be found. It reminds me in some ways of my son Sam. You've got little kids, there's lots of play fights, splashing in the pool, and of course hide and seek. And you walk into a room and you go, Sam, are you in here? No answer. Ask the question again. Sam, are you in here? And something in Sam wants to be found. He won't admit it. And, he, and then the little ruffle of the curtain or the little giggle. giggle. Of course, he wants to be found. Which makes him a little like Jesus. <laughs> Jesus wants us to seek him. He wants us to find him. The Christian life is a simple walk to a welcoming God that requires only childlike faith in answer to the question, come, come to me, come follow me. Can I ask you to stand up? You want to grow closer to Jesus? Realize Christ alone fulfills. Cast your deadly doing down and decide to get closer to Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, even as we've looked at this passage we sense this invitation, this summoning, this opportunity to live our lives at a higher plane, to live our lives at a deeper well, to live our lives close to the one that knows us best and loves us most. Thank you that you call each of us by name. Come, follow me, come to me. We're all excited about finding our purpose. But before you call us to do something, before you call us to go somewhere, our purpose is to come to someone, to wake up in the morning every morning and remind ourselves, my purpose is Christ, to live is gain, sorry, to die is gain, to live is Christ. And I just want to encourage you right where you are to set an intention, to make a decision, I want to draw closer to Christ. That's what I want to do with my life. It's not one of the 17 things you'd like to get done this year. Put it right at the top. I'm sure you've got other priorities. Just demote all of them by one. Put this one right at the top. I want to be closer to Christ. I want to be a person found in Christ. Where's Graham? Oh, Graham's with Jesus. He's drawing close to Jesus. Where's Julie? Oh, she's seeking God. She's drawing close to God. And then for those of you maybe new to church, back in church after a long time, perhaps just as you've heard this message, you realize this is what's missing from my life. You, you know, you're chasing, or you're pouring the wrong petrol in your tank, and today it comes clear to you that Jesus is the one who died on the cross so that your sins could be forgiven. Jesus is alive. Jesus is the one that you've been looking for in all the wrong places. And he's calling you today, come Follow me. Come trust in me. And can I ask everyone to close their eyes? If that's you, new to church, back in church after a long time, today Jesus is saying, come. And he's calling you by name. He's even speaking to your heart right now through the Holy Spirit. I want to challenge you to say, yes, Jesus, I come. I trust in you today. Uh, can I ask everyone to close their eyes? I'd love to pray for you if that's you. In five seconds, can you just lift up your hand as your way of saying, that's me. Three, two, one, just lift up your hand. Wonderful. Just lift it up high so I can see. Wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Hands all over the place. Wonderful, wonderful. Okay, you can put your hands down. Can I just guide you in a simple prayer, if that's you? 
Jesus, thank you that you're alive. Jesus, thank you that you're real. Jesus, thank you that you love me. Jesus, thank you that you died on the cross for, for my sins. Thank you that you're alive. You rose again from the dead. Come and forgive my sins. Come and live in me. I choose to trust you. I choose to follow you. Amen. Thanks for joining us for today's message. Don't forget to check out our website or visit City on a Hill International on Instagram or Facebook for our updates, celebration times, or ways you can get involved. We are also streaming our message on Facebook Live, so make sure you join us or share the post. Thanks again for checking out our podcast. We'll see you soon.